0: Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. There, please to Acts chapter 19. I don't know about you, but um, life has been, uh, had a lot of noise uh, the last couple, last couple weeks actually for myself and Karen and over the weekend and a lot of things going on and um, boy, to a point where it's like, uh, please stop the bus. Um, and sometimes in all of the noise of things, it's, uh, you can lose the center of what's going on. I actually think that's kind of what can happen in Acts 19. In Acts 19, there's all kinds of noise, there's all kinds of activities, there's movements of what's going on, but I really think that Luke, the human author, is really trying to help us see a center thread that runs down all this and connects it all together. So God, help me today as I take us through a lot of noise in this chapter, and might we see this, the center okay that's where I'm going and it's really ultimately about the title sermon sermon title today a people transformed a people transformed Uh, just to set the context here it's it's mid uh, middle of the first century AD this is happening right around 50 53 55 AD just right in that territory of time is where we're at so that's a lot of years ago right a lot of uh, time has gone under the bridge over that time, but the fact of the matter is is it is still applicable and true for us today. Uh, things have changed. Noises have changed. Things might look different, uh, kind of seem different, but really they're all the same issues when it comes down to the human beings as we are in the heart of the matter of what's going on with the God who created us. And so uh, even though it's f- mid-first century, it's still reality of what's taking place. Also, Paul has been on uh, uh, these ministry ventures now for about five years. He's now on his third uh, ministry uh, go trip, if you will, his third ministry trip around the center part of the universe, if you want to call it at that point in time, Uh, really through the regions of what are modern-day Greece and modern-day Cyprus and modern-day Turkey. Uh, That's the main area where he's engaged with. Uh, Within that Big circle. Uh, today, we're going to hear in the text three, I'll call them little circles uh, in that, within that. It's Asia, not uh, Asia as we have today, but Asia Minor at that time, which is a region within Turkey, and then Achaia and Macedonia, both of those are over in the region of Greece, and um, in, we're going to see these come up. The main center of activity of chapter nineteen is happening in the city of Ephesus today, and it's Ephesus is within that region of Asia, and we're going to see the activity uh, happening there. Um, uh, we have also seen as Paul has done ministry over the recent years of time in the scripture that he's received pushback at times, sometimes serious persecution. We're going to see some pushback today. Some of it I think is kind of funny actually in some of the pushback that takes place, but we'll get there. But one of the wonderful things is people are being transformed in Christ and that's the center of the story and that's the center of the reality for them and for you and me, friends, for you and me. There can be a lot of noise even that goes on in doing ministry. And yet the thing that is the thing is you and I being transformed in Christ. Let me say it this way. You want to have an impact on your family? You want to have an impact on your friends? You want to have an impact on your coworkers. You want to have an impact on your community? You want to have an impact on your world? It's all centered in you and me being transformed in Christ. That's the gospel, and we're going there today, and we're going to hold it there. No chasing shiny objects today, okay, in ministry to-do's. We're just going to be transformed lives, transform lives. Let me say that again. Transformed lives, transform lives. I think the text just screams that out for us today. We're in chapter 19, let me just go ahead and begin here, verse one. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, we had met Apollos at the very, last Sunday, at the very end of chapter 18, we met Apollos. He's now moved over to Corinth, which is over in uh, the region of Achaia. Uh, Paul had passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Okay, simply this. Paul is now on his third circle trip, his third ministry trip. It's what number trip? It's his third one. And he's going back to people he's already engaged with, um, and particularly here, we see this, and he's going he's going to be in Ephesus. Uh, let me note a few things about Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus um, is a large city at the time. Uh, we're talking a serious city. Uh, Some say that at the time it had a population of some 250,000 people. I mean, think about it, 2,000 years ago, a city with a quarter of a million people, that was a massive city in its day. It was one of the most important, largest cities in all of that whole uh, region of Turkey and Greece, a major city, major city of commerce, a major city of religious activities. And what I mean by that is kind of uh, another thing associated with it was it had the Temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis. Um, The temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. So in other words, it's not just like, wow, that was a cool building. That was something else. No, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And in that, just to kind of put some skin or some uh, construction to that idea, it was 425 feet by by 225 feet, 425 by 225. That's like a football field and a half by three quarters of a football field in width. I mean, this is a huge building. Uh, I think actually what helped me um, is understand the the magnitude of why it was one of the seven wonders of the world is it had 127 columns. All those columns that you see there, there were 100, how many? 127 of them. All of them were 60 feet high, 4 feet in diameter. Now if I understand my geology correctly, rocks do not grow as columns, am I right? They just are there and then they have to be shaped, they have to be cut out. Can you imagine the amount of work and time and expertise? I mean, before they had uh, John Deere and Caterpillar kind of uh, items, before they had cranes, before they had semi-trucks to haul it, They were chopping these out of rocks, forming them into four foot diameter, building them up 60 feet, 127 of them. I can't even fathom the engineering drawings they had for those things and how that took place. But it was one of the seven wonders of the world in Ephesus one of the other things about Ephesus that was amazing was it had this great theater, uh, the theater in Ephesus, and we're going to see that in our text today. It was built into this uh, hillside, and it would seat over 200, or I'm sorry, <laughs> over 20,000 people. It was hold somewhere around 23,000 people. Basically, that's like a Pacers game, of people, This is a huge built into the side of the mountain, and they had this grand theater there. Ephesus was a place that was happening with things, and Paul is there. We have four movements through the text. Let's begin with the first movement here. I'm titling it, Paul found some disciples, because at the end of verse 1, it says there, in Ephesus, Paul found some disciples. Isn't that? I thought that was pretty smart, wasn't it? Okay, there he found some disciples. Let's keep reading. Verse two, and he said to them, Uh, by the way, look at verse seven. There were about 12 men in all. He's talking to about 12 men. He found some disciples in Ephesus, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. In fact, here's the best part. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Bless these guys' hearts. They don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit, that there is a Spirit of God, that there is a Trinity, that there are three in it. Paul looks and talks about this and he goes on and he says, well, well, that's in the text. Verse three, "Uh, well, well. uh, And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid, laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about how many? Twelve of them. Listen, last Sunday we finished with Apollos. If you, remember, if you were here and you remember that. Apollos met Priscilla and Aquila Priscilla and Aquila were a Jewish couple that had lived in Italy, in Rome. They then, uh, a lay couple, they were tent makers, a lay couple who moves to Ephesus to be able to do ministry with Paul. Uh, Apollos was an Egyptian, North Africa. He ends up going to Ephesus. We're told at the end of chapter 18 that Apollos was eloquent, that he was competent in the Scripture. He was someone who was absorbed in the Scripture. That's referring to the Old Testament apollos is going and he's going to the city the text tells us that he was able to he could teach i mean he could teach the lights out of a place and he's teaching and we're told that priscilla and aquila are there in the synagogue listening to apollos teach and they're realizing that apollos doesn't know some things that they know as a result of being with paul about the gospel so they say hey let's go to starbucks and let's have a, they had Starbucks back then there, and and then let's have a conversation about it, and and they sat down together, and here's this brilliant teacher with Priscilla and Aquila, a lay couple, and they're saying, hey, um, we would like to inform you about some things that you're not aware of. Why is that important? It's important to understand the books of Acts is transitory, It's going from the gospel and moving on. That means that people in the book of Acts don't know a lot of the things that have taken place that you and I have the blessing of already knowing because we have the full written New Testament. They they were living the New Testament out and they're learning as things are going along. And so here is Apollos and now here right after that event, we have a similar event where there are these 12 disciples. I think they were believers in Christ, I think they were redeemed in Christ, but Paul is now, hey, by the way, there's more information for you to know, Uh, it's called the Spirit of God, he's going back to Acts chapter two, and he puts his hands on them, and they receive the Spirit of God, they they speak in tongues, and by the way, one of the things I wanna point out of this is this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is during a transition time of the gospel being known across the world, This is guys who do not know about the spirit, about the filling of the spirit. Let me quickly just go over to Ephesians chapter one. Because Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God. What is he saying here? He is saying here in chapter 1 in Ephesians, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are filled with, sealed by the Spirit of God. And then over here we have, yeah, but they weren't at that time. Why? Transition. And a lot of bad thinking, bad practice comes out of not understanding the movement of the progression of God's gospel truth over time. So friend, know this. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, Ephesians chapter 1, you are indwelt with, you are sealed by the Spirit of God, you are God. Okay? But we are at this time where things are happening and unique things in a unique period of time that I don't think is for all times to be happening that way. And so here are these people who are coming and learning. I want to say this. I love this. Paul gives them gospel instruction. He's always been about that. Everywhere we see Paul going, Paul is talking about more gospel instruction, helping people to learn more about who Jesus Christ is. By the way, that so fits with the last Sunday in the statement of Scripture first, Scripture most. Paul was a Scripture first, Scripture most kind of guy. And know this, people that are Scripture first, Scripture most are transformed. And it begins with gospel instruction, going back to God's Word, back to God's Word, coming to learn and to know. This is going to build. Watch this unfold as we move along. Let's move into the next event. Event number two, Paul entered the synagogue. That's because verse 8 says, and he entered the synagogue. And for three months, how many months? Three, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. We've already set the pattern in it. We've seen it again and again. Paul goes into the synagogue. He reasons with, we've seen again and again, it says he reasons with them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament and from the, the, the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, What we have in Acts chapter two. He's reasoning with them. By the way, that is a two-way conversation that's happening there. When Paul is reasoning with people, it's interacting. This is kind of a one-way conversation setting. It's just the way that it is. And yet in it, he's having this opportunity to interact with people. Can I say this is what we should be doing even outside of here? This is what we want to be happening in small groups, is for you to be interacting together, engaging with each other, asking questions, working it out, wrestling it out, thinking it out, going to God's word, and growing together in it. And so he was doing that for three months, but, verse nine, but when some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, in other words, after having a dialogue, three months wrestling it out, yeah, but the Old Testament, yeah, but the Old Testament, yeah, is Christ the Messiah? Is this all this reasoning? Some of them are like, no, no, I'm not buying what you have to say, Paul. I'm not buying it at all. But when some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, talking about them, Jews who were, we'll say, Messianic Jews, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Was this a, a, a building the city had? Was that of the last man's name and he owned it? We're not quite sure, it's not the important part. For three months, Paul is reasoning. After three months, it got to the point where Paul said, you know what, it's time for me to take those who are growing in Christ and learning in Christ and we're gonna go somewhere else and we're gonna continue the conversations. And look at how much time he spent there. Verse 10, this continued for how long? Two years. We read by these things and sometimes we just, time flies, sometimes we, two years can go by lickety split, right? But at the same time, two years is, well, two years it actually has some length of it. And when you look at Paul's uh, journeys that he's been taking, Paul spending two years in Ephesus is unlike anywhere else he's been. In fact, in chapter 20, we find out and we read that Paul says that he writes back. He says, I spent three years with you, teaching you, instructing you with tears. I like that. <laughs> um, he wasn't just coming at them, he loved them. He wanted them to come along. And for two years of time, we have it here where he's engaging. And look what happens out of that. So that all the residents of Ephesus, is that what it says? No. All the residents of Asia, that's the region. It's like not just the city of Indianapolis, the state of Indiana. So that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Hey, I think there's a a building that comes off of the first event. Gospel instruction leads to gospel confrontation. Well, what do I mean by the gospel confrontation? I'm not just talking about the external a confrontation, although that's what happened. Many became stubborn, many became uh, speaking evil of, and many, listen, but I'm talking about that, but I'm more talking about what happens within us. We know, we understand that the Spirit of God works through the Word of God in our hearts to convict God's people and to grow us. And as you and I are in this, The Spirit of God uses this to work in our lives. And sometimes that includes convicting us of things. That can be things we do, things we think, things that have happened. And as we are in this and as we grow in this, conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is not a mean thing. Conviction is not being grumpy, God being grumpy. Conviction is God trying to reveal things to us to help us see what we need to be transformed in. And as Paul is instructing people, we see here that people are being convicted by that, and that includes being convicted to where not only just rejecting, but convicted to the point to where it's like, Paul, we wanna come with you and we wanna hear more. There's a drawing portion of conviction. It doesn't push away, it actually is a call to. It reveals and we either have a choice. We can either go that way or that way. We can either repel or we can run to. And here we see both of those happening in the text, conviction is taking place. Let's go to the next event because I think more is pulled together, verse 11, and the next event that's happening is God did extraordinary miracles. I love this because right at this point in time, this is the type of thing where you can read the first couple paragraphs of Acts 19 and just sit back and go, Paul is awesome and I stink. (laughs) We can end up putting Paul on this pedestal. It's like, man, that guy had everything, and that guy is awesome, and I love the way Luke, the human author of Acts, he like all of a sudden, before we can go thinking Paul is a God, if you will, in our eyes, he reminds us, listen, this is all about God being awesome. Everything that's happened— God using his instruction, his words, God using that to convict people. It is a God work. Look at the text, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul's not the hero of the story, friends. Paul is not the hero of Acts. God is. God is the one who is the hero all the time. Let's read what happens. Um, so that, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. You know, this is where, I don't know if you've ever seen, maybe this is an old thing or not, I don't know, those of us gray hairs. And remember those people on TV who were like, you know, uh, send in your, you know, your, 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 your faith seed and I'll send you a handkerchief that I touched and, and it'll heal you? Um, know this, that is not what the text is saying. The text is saying, again, transition at that time. God does miracles to validate and approve so people can see who his uh, bringers of truth are. You see that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God allowed uh, his prophets, uh, his people to be able to do miraculous things to be able to show that there is something divine involved here. Then you go to the New Testament and you find Jesus Christ. The entire Gospel of John is written out of the theme because John says, I want for you to see the signs of miracles of Jesus so that you would know that he is the Messiah. It is not about all the funkiness of the signs and miracles that are a draw. They are the ones that prove who he is. And here then in Acts, we see some of these same things as the gospel is increasing. How do people know that this is divine reality from God being able to do these things? Look at what God is allowing them to do. I do believe that God can do miracles today. I absolutely believe that. But I'm gonna say we don't go around using God like some kind of game God is going to do work when God is going to do a work. And here he is uniquely doing it at a time so that they know that Paul is someone sent from God. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to sick. Their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them. Look what happens, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists in Ephesus undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits and otherwise... Other, in other words, individuals who were doing exorcists, I'm going to say this, voodoo things, in that day, not of God, of other powers, saw Paul doing these miracles, and it's like, ah, we're going to use Paul's Jesus. And so they then start invoking the name of Jesus, even though they're, I don't think, redeemed at all in Christ, thinking that there's a magical wiffle dust going on here, and, and, and uh, Jesus over uh, evil spirits, and saying, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It's not even like they proclaim Jesus. The, Paul, the, the God of Paul, we proclaim him. By the way, that totally fits in a polytheistic society, you just grab what God happens to be working at the time, and you use it for your gain. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit in a situation where they're doing an exorcism answered them, Jesus I know, I don't know, maybe said it in a like a, Jesus I know, or however, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I loved it. Uh, you can take this home over lunch and have a conversation about it. But, but one of the cool things, listen, a demon is saying, Jesus, I know. By the way, right there is telling us something. Knowing about Jesus does not bring redemption. Even the demons know and are not redeemed. Just knowing about Jesus doesn't mean anything different or anything more than what demons know. Uh, They know Jesus, they know Paul. I'm sure it's like, and Paul irritates us as well. But then talking to these individuals, but who are you? I'm dead serious on this. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. So I'm gonna leave it there for you. But something is happening, verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Know this, God is not intimidated. And in this event, what's happening here, this is not like some goofball, lightweight WWF competition that it looks like a rumble, but we know it's fake. By the way, did I just ruin that for someone? It is fake, the WWF thing. Anyway, instead, look at the text. This was this demonic man is going after this, and it is a brawl to where clothes are ripped off, bruises, and wounds are had. This is no light war. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Let me say it this way. All of this event happened, I think even to 12, and then you come in and there's teaching, and then you come into this crazy event that's taking place, and out of it all, Jesus in the community is getting raised higher and higher on the admiration scale. More people are taking notice of Jesus. Why? Because people's lives are being transformed. What am I talking about? Take a look. Verse 18 also associated with this, many of those who were now believers, people who are redeemed in Christ, came confessing and divulging their practices. When people heard about this, including believers in Christ, when they heard about what was going on with this uh, magic art stuff taking place and the war that came out of it, believers came divulging their practices. In other words, people had come to Christ and yet were still doing things that they had been doing before they knew Christ, and after these events came to realize that's not what would be honoring to the Lord. Let me put it simply, they're growing and changing in Christ. Why is it that when someone comes to Christ or even later on in life, uh, I tell you, when you come to Christ, you're not perfect. Has anyone noticed that? Uh, Me too. Instead, we are redeemed in Christ, sealed by the Spirit of God. We are sanctified in the eyes of God, held by Him. We will never be let go from Him. However, in it, it is now we start a relationship with God that has to work its way out in the doing of our life. And that's where the battle goes. Because in it, we think ways we used to think. We do things we used to do. And yet we need to grow and change. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, we need to put off, put on. We need to have a mindset. I gotta get killing this not embracing this. And we see these individuals, they are literally, they have received Christ, and yet they're still tinkering in magic arts. And they come to realize, oh my word, this doesn't go with that. I need to do something about that. I just, why do we get irritated when believers sin? We're all growing and changing, right? None of us are perfect. Why do we get so frustrated when others are having a hard time living out what God has fully done in their life? We need to be focused, Matthew 7, on the logs in our eyes, not in the specks of other people's lives. And here what we see happening is these people have come to Christ, they've got baggage from their past, they're still continuing in it, and yet in it, they end up saying, we can't do this anymore, they burn it all. May I say it this way, this is a story of gospel confession. This is conviction, instruction that leads to conviction that now leads to confession, it leads to repentance, it leads to, I need to change. By the way, look at what they do. And a number of them, verse 19, of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, these books, and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. By the way, if that 50,000 pieces of silver is referring to a denarii, which would have been the normal common use of silver coins in the day that was equal to 137 years of salary for the average worker. Why is the scriptures telling us this information? It wants us to know that they were so serious about getting rid of this, and they saw it as such a a confrontation to what they want to be in Christ that we don't want to sell it. We don't even want anyone to go to the used bookstore and buy it. We want to burn it up. And I would suggest this. What a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. This is like three person's salary all burned up in a moment. For their entire life salary. And God is doing a convicting work in these individuals, right? And they are responding to it. And by the way, what's the outcome? Verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Small groups know this this week. As you get together and as you study this text, we can get all caught up in all the events happening and go to the discussions about all the little things. But notice this thread. Look at verse 7. There were about 12 men in all. 12 men what? 12 men that were growing in their understanding of who God is. Then what happened? Then in verse 10, they continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Then you go to verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We are getting this thread, this movement that God's people are being changed in him and out of that, as word is getting out, it's impacting the entire region. It's not about what's the funky ministry method for the day. It's a simple message of God's people changing and growing in Christ and not having an impact. I'm just going to tell you, as a guy who was in business for 20 years, and then on this side of vocational ministry, it's kind of like I'm still stunned to this day at how many pastors are looking for the magic method it was just Friday talking with uh, uh, someone here in our church and they were telling, they were having a conversation with an old pastor that they knew and, and they were saying, by the way, how's your church plant going? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he kept pressing me. I gotta know the number. How, what's your attendance? What's your? And so he told him, he says, like, what are you doing to make that happen? That's the way we get. What's the method that I can implement that is gonna bring me the result that I want? Hey, how about this? The simple message of the gospel is this. When you and I change in Christ, God does the work. And it is out of that central reality that things begin happening. And if we would not chase all the shiny objects, and the shiny object would be Jesus Christ alone, transforming work would be happening in ways that only God can be given the glory for. Wanna change your home? Want to change and impact your friends? Want to impact your workers, co-workers? Want to impact your uh, schoolmates? You want to have an impact on them for Christ? You want to have an impact for our community? Here's the way. Let's you and me and us together grow in Christ. I'm not anti-methods. I'm not anti-programs. I am pro-let's change in Christ instruction leads to conviction that leads to confession. And then we finish here. Verse 21, 22, I'm not gonna read. Basically, Paul's talking about what he's thinking about in the ministry ahead. Let me just jump to verse 23, fourth event. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, the Jewish believers in Christ. Verse 24. For a man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. I've got the picture, of this is a businessman. And he's all of a sudden realizing business is dropping. Why is business dropping? Answer, answer. Because people in Ephesus and the surrounding region are not going, as many of them are going to the temple to worship Artemis, less and less of them are going there because they are being transformed in Christ. And as less and less of go, are going there, they're not buying the, the coins and the little uh, goddesses and the little things that like you buy before you go into Lucas Oil Stadium. People aren't buying as much of that. And so they're like, we got, a, we got an issue, verse 26, and you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. <laughs> By the way, I think we have a hard time understanding, I sure do, If you grab some silver and you form it into something and you now proclaim it a god or a goddess, doesn't it just make logical sense that it's just something you made? And yet clearly this individual is thinking, no, there is power in that. Uh, Keep reading. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed uh, from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. There's a part of this I have some respect for this individual because he's not just selling things and could give a rip about what's going on at the temple. You clearly get the idea that he actually believes that Artemis is a living God and is magnificent. There's an aspect of that I can respect. But the sadness is it he's worshiping a dead God and not living God. And so what happens? When they heard this, They were enraged, those ones he's talking to, and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I don't know where this meeting happened, but it sounds like there's a few people there, and he's getting his business acquaintances and friends. It's like, our business is going down because people aren't going to the temple like they used to and aren't buying our goddesses like they used to, and and they reply, great is the God of Artemis. And uh, so the city was filled with the confusion. They rushed together in the theater. Man, this is like Beauty and the Beast, kill the beast. They rush into the theater. I think this is the great theater that is in Ephesus. They rushed to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, Paul's like, I'm in on this game. Uh, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the uh, Assyriarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him uh, not to venture there. Paul, no, don't get involved, we've got it. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, uh, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. What? Artemis gets with some individuals talking about the problem going on. More they go like, "Let's let's great is the, great as Artemis." They, they go to the amphitheater. They're there. People through the town. They're getting all worked up. Why are we going here? I don't know, but I just want to be in on it. And, and the mob mentality begins building, and they all get in uh, this theater that's there and verse 33 and some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward and Alexander motioning with his hand wanted to take a defense to the crowd it's like stop everybody stop I've got something to say verse 34 but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours they all cried out with one voice great as Artemis of the Ephesians talking about shutting a speaker down there you go I think it's a really cool thing when you're like watching a Pacers game, you're over watching a Colts game, and everybody's like chanting something. It's a rush for about a minute or two or three or okay, maybe even five. But two hours, there comes a point in time where you're like, zip it! For two hours, the people in the theater are shouting out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, trying to shut this whole thing down. Can we agree that God's people transformed, they end up raising heaven in their communities? And the community, even in that, the people aren't, God's people aren't being obnoxious. They're not being rude. It's just out of this whole thing. When transformed people change, people notice. And a number of those people don't like it. But a number of them do. Well, how it finishes, I'm going to, you can read it. Basically, the town clerk. Can you picture the town clerk? Um, No, no. Nothing bad intended by that if you're a town clerk, but it's a local governing official, kind of gets in there, brings in the calmness. Hey, everybody, let's just all stop it. Let's just calm it down. Let's chill it out. And by the way, the story ends without telling us how it all finishes. I love that. Why do I love that? I love that because it's like the story continues on. It's kind of like, hey, 2,000 later's, 2,000 years later, people, let's put ourselves there. And how's the story gonna end? Because look at chapter 20, verse one. We'll get there in a couple Sundays. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell, departed for Macedonia. We don't even know how the whole thing ended. But we know the story. And in a nutshell, it's this. When people are instructed in the gospel, when people put their minds and their souls and their eyes in their Bible, and as they dig out God's word, God does a work in that in confronting us, in convicting us things to change, things to embrace, things to draw anew, things to understand, things to grab a hold of who God is. And as we are in God's word and he instructs us in his word, we are uh, we are hit with, we are touched by, we we are uh, uh, smacked with, I mean in a positive way, with, with gospel truth and it is out as gospel truth that we have a decision to make. Uh, are we going to embrace that? Sometimes it means I need to confess sin. Sometimes it needs to mean I need to confess. confess, I'm jumping on that, that new truth, that who God is. And God, you're doing a work in me, and I see that, and I'm embracing that. And all of that leads to gospel transformation. And this is the story that should be happening in your and my life every day. Last Sunday, Scripture first, Scripture most. As scripture permeates in us, as we absorb scripture more and more, the spirit of God uses the word of God in his people to grow them, to see things, to know what I should change, what I should embrace. And out of that, then we are able to then move to where it's like, what am I going to do with that? And out of that, we are transformed step at a time, day at a time, movement at a time, knowing this, that when you and I are transformed in Christ, it impacts those all around us. Want to have an impact for Christ? Eyes on ourself. Growing in Christ. Not on the person sitting next to you. We can do it in combination with them. But you and me growing in Christ, transformed in Christ more and more in his image for his glory and friends, church, God will do a work. It's really that simple. And yet it is really that hard. Growing in Christ is a trait that God wants to see in our lives. Let's pursue after it. Lord, thank you so much for our time in the word. And God, now as we transition into a time of taking communion, this is just an opportunity to remember what you have done, to uh, recollect your work. The transforming work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection made available to transform us. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who who maybe is like Apollos or maybe like some of the 12 men who, who think they have an understanding of the gospel, but maybe they really don't. I pray that they would be learners, that they would ask someone, get with someone to be able to sit down and can we spend some time together and can I come to understand more what the gospel is about? God, I pray for those individuals that that would happen. Father, I pray for those of us who have come to you by your grace through faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that even now in this time of communion that we would have a heart of celebration in it, and yet in it we would also have that heart of retrospect in it. God, are there some things right now that as we remember what you have done, this would be a great time to confess and to repent. And to be reminded, we don't do this because we've earned it. We do this as an opportunity to remember what you have done in us and to continue in that pursuit after you. Lord Jesus, transform our lives, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.